That's awesome, isn't it? So you heard it said that it's easier for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle than for, a, you know, uh, for him to enter the kingdom of God. Or it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Um, and, and here's the deal. We've, we've heard that before. The question is, what does it really mean? Because I think it's perhaps one of uh, the most uh, notorious stories, probably quoted some, but oftentimes misunderstood. Uh, and so today we're going to dive in uh, to this uh, new series called The Road Less Traveled. And I'm looking forward to it. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We would love to bless you with one before uh, you leave today. And so you can go to our connection point, which is right out the side of the double doors uh, on the other side of uh, the north wall. And we would love to just bless you with the Bible. We're also going to put it for you up on the screen. Uh, before we dive in, I got to just take a few moments and just uh, share a couple of things. One, uh, it's been a, a long time since what we've given away is what we call a home run and so a home run bat is just when we feel like our church has knocked it out of the park, when we did something that was really incredible. And so I would just tell you that last weekend was an incredible weekend for Stone Point Church. Yes, we can go ahead and give the Lord a hand. And I just want to say uh, that regardless if you're here on the Wills Point campus or if you're joining us in Edgewood, like what happened last weekend was phenomenal. And here's what I want you to realize. Last weekend, uh, we served probably anywhere from 1,500 to 1,800 uh, people here in the Wills Point community at the Easter egg hunts. And we probably served anywhere from five to 700 people uh, in Edgewood at their Easter egg hunts. And so if you kind of add those numbers up, a very conservative figure would be anywhere from 2,200 to 2,500 people that we served. And uh, it was just phenomenal. The next day at our Easter services, uh, we had a little over 900 in Wills Point and we had almost 500 in Edgewood. And so 1,400 people at our Easter services. Now listen to my next comment and make sure you wrap this through your brain, okay? The number of people that were here is not what's important to me. But the people that served all of those people is why you get a home run bat. And so here's what I want you to see. Like last weekend, as I'm going around and just the pastor and the lead guy here at Stone Point, being at the egg hunt on both campuses, simultaneously having dozens of volunteers that are setting up campuses and making sure that everything's ready to go the next morning, I want you to realize we had over 300 volunteers that made that happen. And so egg, egg hunts don't happen if you don't have people cooking hot dogs, making popcorn, setting out eggs, setting uh, up all the areas. They don't happen if you don't have people that are running bounce houses, if you don't have people that are doing face painting, or if they're doing uh, balloon animals. Like it just doesn't happen because a few people think, Oh, that would be a really cool idea. It happens because there are people who love other people and they demonstrate that in a way that they're tangibly serving other people. And so if you had any part of serving, praise God for you. And if you didn't, then here's the deal. It's never too late because you can always be a part of serving other people here at Stone Point because there's always more to do. And I really truly believe that our best days are yet to come. But here's what I want you to hear this too. And then we're gonna dive into this incredible, incredible message series because I can't wait. Um, if I didn't go to church here or didn't work here, I would go to church here. So let me say it differently. If I didn't work here, I would go to church here. 
Understand? Like that's, that's how God's using this place. And so it's only because of people like you. And so we thank God for you and thank you for knocking out of the park. Can we just give the Lord a hand? Amen. He's worthy of it. So let me pray for us. And then uh, we're going to dive in. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for today. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for uh, your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you care so richly for us. And uh, Father, we pray that you would uh, speak to us this morning. God, would you help us to understand your word? Would you help us to understand what it is that you desire to do in our lives? And I pray, God, that you would just remind us that the church is not about coming and being served, but going and serving people. That the church is not uh, a building that we sit in, but it's a people that we're a part of. And I pray, God, that we would realize that, that it would resonate in our hearts and our minds, and that we would do something for the kingdom of God as a result of what you've done for us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So if you have your Bibles, I hope that you've uh, had a chance to turn to Luke chapter 18. So uh, here's, here's the cool thing is that as Jesus addresses this story, uh, the this is not the first time that you've seen it in Luke chapter 18. He actually shows us this story uh, three times in what are called the Gospels. Now, if you've, you're kind of new to church, you're like, I don't even know what the Gospels are. Well, let me just tell you real quick. The Gospels are four books that are put together to just simply tell you the good news about Jesus. And so the gospel simply means good news. So on both campuses, okay, what do what the gospel mean? Okay, I know that was really difficult. So I'm sorry for tricking you on that one. Let's try it again. The gospel means what? Good news. It just means the good news. And so you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to tell you the good news about this man named Jesus. Now, Jesus was prophesied in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is simply 39 books that tell you about the nation of Israel, a nation that God said would call, that he would call out and he would use for his great namesake. And he goes, but out of that nation is going to come one man. And that one man is going to not just bless the nation of Israel, but he's going to bless all the nations. Anybody who would believe in him would be blessed by him. And so this guy is Jesus. And so Jesus tells us some stories in the gospels, the good news about who he is and about what he's done for us. And so Jesus is going to have this encounter with this young man. Now in the, the gospels, you see it in Matthew, you see it in Luke, uh, and you also see it in Mark. And so you see this same story in Mark. It's called the young man. In uh, Matthew, again, uh, referred to as the young man. And then in Luke, we realize that it's not just the young man, but apparently he has some notoriety. He's the young ruler. And so in Luke chapter 19, uh, if you dive in with me, we'll, we'll just begin to kind of pick up on this story and see uh, what happens. Luke chapter 18. And so in verse 18, it says, and a ruler asked him. So this young man approaches Jesus, and I want you to just kind of understand what this young man is. This young man, apparently, according to Mark, uh, is, is wealthy. According to Matthew, um, is very wealthy. He's a young man who has lots of wealth. Again, right here, Luke, we see that this, this guy is going to be a young ruler. So apparently, he's got some fortune and some fame, and apparently, he's going to be well-known. And so I don't know if you realize this, but this is a, a guy who's most likely young, good looking, and he's very wealthy. 
Got me? So if you're in here and you're rich, good, young looking, that's the reason we don't like you, right? Uh, because you got all of it going on. And this guy's got it all going on. Now, I'm just kidding. Uh, we love everybody here at Stone Point. But this guy is a guy that apparently is good looking. He's rich. He's got it all. Like he is a guy that's got all of his life together. But then he's going to approach Jesus because he seems to have been missing something. He feels like maybe there's one more thing that I could do. And so he asked Jesus this question. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he goes, I, I happen to have almost everything. I mean, look at me, but perhaps I'm missing something. And what he basically feels like he's missing is maybe the key to the afterlife. He goes, how do I have eternal life? Then Jesus doesn't answer it immediately. He says something that's kind of intriguing. Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And so Jesus does something real quickly. He goes, huh, why do you call me good? Now here's the, 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 the key right here. If you've never been in church, you're like, I don't even know who Jesus is. We believe that Jesus is God. And because Jesus is God, he's asking the, the rich young ruler, he goes, hey, why do you call me good? Because there's nothing good in this world except for God. So what he's trying to help this young man see is, number one, you're not good. And number two, if you're calling me good, then you must be putting me in the category with God. So he's asking him in a different way, what do you believe about me? He asked the disciples the same thing. He goes, hey, who, who do they say that I am? And, and that's the question. Like, who do you believe I am? And that's what Jesus is asking him. He's just saying, what do you believe about me? Do you believe I really am God? Do you really believe that I am the son of God, that I am the same stuff as him, that I'm God in the flesh, the incarnate word? And then you look at the guys uh, after he says that, Jesus says this. He goes, well, you know the commandments, don't you? And so after he asked, what do you believe about me? He goes, hey, don't you know the, the word? Don't you know the law and the prophets and what they teach? And he's referring back to Exodus 20 and just the, all the, the rules. And he goes, what about like, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And then look what it says. And he said, meaning the young man, he goes, all of these things I have kept from my youth. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was sitting there in that story and I heard a young, good-looking guy tell Jesus, I've done all to keep your rules, I would probably go, really? <laughs> Everything? Like you've never broken a single rule? Like, okay, but when you were eight and your mom was chasing you around because you hit your little sister, like you've, ne you've, like you've never done anything wrong? Like you've always been obedient? You've, you've never taken a whooping from your parents because you were so good. You were so awesome. So you've, you've never stolen. Like you never took a pin from work. You never took a peppermint from a restaurant. Like you've never done anything. Like, come on, man, seriously. And so this guy goes, I've kept everything. All of it I have done. He says, there's nothing that I hadn't covered. And then Jesus heard this and he said to them, there's one thing that you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. Now, here's what I want you to realize. If this, this young man is a Jewish young man who's wealthy, good looking and knows all the law and the prophets, what Jesus just said to him is very alarming because Jesus just said, Go and sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor. And this guy goes, wait a second, that is not a part of the law. 
There is nothing in Exodus 20 that tells me that I got to get rid of all my riches. And here's the question. What do you believe about this text? Because this is why this text can be largely misunderstood. Do you think that Jesus was saying to this man, in order to have eternal life, you must sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, become a monk, live in a monastery, have nothing other than your thoughts on God. All you do is use every minute of every day, praising God, praying, distributing your goods to all the people. And that's how you have eternal life. Is that what Jesus means? And if he does, then that means that every single one of us in here are like, okay, that's kind of rough. Or perhaps maybe that's not what you're thinking, but that's not what Jesus is saying to this guy. Jesus isn't saying, hey, in order to have eternal life, you got to go sell everything. We're going to see in a few moments what Jesus really means. But when he tells him this, you see the man's response. When he heard these things, verse 23, he became very sad for he was, underline, extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. So what happens is, according to Mark and according to Matthew, when the young man heard this, his face fell downcast. He was sad and he turns and he walks the other way. And when he starts walking the other way, because Jesus asked too much of him, Jesus turns to his disciples and he goes, oh, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And here's where you and I are so relieved. At least I'm not rich. I don't have to worry about this. Like, I just don't have that much wealth. But let me ask you a question. What if I told you that you actually are rich? What if I told you that perhaps maybe you're the wealthiest people in the world? Maybe, what if I just said that maybe you happen to have more riches than this young man who's good looking, who has all the women, all the cars? What if you happen to be as wealthy as he is, if not more wealthy? Would you be surprised by that? See, here's the deal. You don't believe you're wealthy is because the more that you have, the more you crave. And the more you crave, the more you seem to not be able to have. See, we have this lie called marketing that, believe, that kind of just puts it in front of us that you never have enough. There's always something else to acquire. It's also called the American dream. People move here to build wealth like you do. And you go, well, I'm not really that wealthy. Well, let me just tell you why I think you're wealthy. Uh, if you were to go to globalrichlist.com, which is something I shared with you about four or five years ago, you could be able to kind of type in what you make and you could actually see whether or not you're really wealthy. So I just thought I'll just give you a couple different categories. Maybe some of us in this room would apply. Um, some of you are going to like not on apply in this and that's cool. Okay. I think most of us do, uh, but I just started out with uh, $120,000. Okay. So I mean, just a combined income of $120,000. If you have a combined income of $120,000 in your house, okay, then you need to know that you are among the world's wealthiest people. Matter of fact, this is statistically exactly where you are. Okay. Check it out. Not just in Will's point, but in Edgewood as well. 0.07%. Now that I want you to realize that's not in the top 7%. That's in the top 0.07 of 1%. Got me? So you can look there and it gives you a number. You out of 7 billion people, okay, you rank at 4,267,335th. Isn't that awesome? You're rich. 
Okay. So here's the deal. You're like, okay, I don't make anything close to that. I can agree. I'm like, I don't, I don't make that. Unfortunately, I don't pay that around here. Uh, so let's, <laughs> let's get something to where I can kind of be, begin to understand. Okay. So 75,000, maybe your combined income, you're kind of 75,000. You're like, okay, maybe I'm in the top 10% of the world. Okay. Maybe I'm a little closer because I mean, that's, that's a pretty significant drop down than all the other wealthy people in this room. And so where are you? Well, here it is. Look at it. Check it out. You are at 0.19 of 1%. You are still at 11 million out of 7 billion people on the earth. Got me? And then there's some of you in here. You're like, dude, I don't even come close to making $75,000 combined income. And so you're not even talking my level. Okay. And so let's just drop it down per capita income in Vincent County is around 44 to 45,000. Let's go lower than that. $32,500 combined income. Let's see where you are. 0.99. You are still among the top 1% most wealthy people in all the world. Crazy, right? Hey, take out your income, just own a car. You're in the top 4% no matter what you do. So you know what I'm trying to tell you? Congratulations. You're rich. There it is. So here's the deal. If you're rich, then what does this text mean? Does it mean go give everything you have away to inherit eternal life? Because if that's, if that's what Jesus is teaching, then every single one of us better get to work right. See, I don't think that's what Jesus is teaching. I do think that Jesus is trying to make a parallel. Matter of fact, after he says, oh, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, you know what he does next? He gives us this statement in verse 25, and here it is. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He goes, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man in the kingdom of God. And then those who heard it asked the question, well, then who can be saved? And here's why. Catch this. Y'all ready? Lean in with me for just a second. Here's what Jesus is doing. He is talking to this guy that in Jewish thought would have believed he had all of it together. Here's what he means. In Jewish thought, wealth was never a problem. Matter of fact, they felt like that there was supposed to be prosperity that went with believing in God. Matter of fact, there's a kind of a, a, a prosperity teacher that even lingers in our society, in our country. And here's the thought of it. The, the thought of it is, if I'm good morally, I have great faith, then God in some ways owes me some wealth and prosperity along with health and all those different things. This Jewish man had some similar thought process. He thought, because I'm good morally, because I have kept all the law, I haven't made mistakes, I have been obedient since I was a kid, then, then that's why I'm wealthy. Matter of fact, as the disciples look on and they see this good looking, rich young man who's kept all the law, they think the reason he has wealth is because he's done all these things. And then Jesus takes everything they know and he flips it on its head. And he basically says, look, the reason you're rich is not because you've done a whole lot to get there. It's not because you're blessed and somehow everybody else is cursed. And that's why the disciples ask, well, if this guy has done everything, he's good looking, He's got all this wealth and he's kept all the law and the prophets and he can't go to heaven. Then guess what? I'm really in bad shape. And that's what the disciples asked. How can anyone be saved if this guy's not getting in? And then that's why Jesus says, well, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is trying to help us realize 
why it's so challenging. And then he replies this, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And then Peter says, see, that's why we've left our homes and we followed you. So what God says, see, man has a way of thinking that they can get to God. And that, that way does not work. But God makes a way in another way that makes it what's impossible for man, it can be possible with God. So God has a new way of doing things. And so with all of that in mind, I think it's important for us to realize why this rich man is not going to enter the kingdom of God. And I want you to see what it is. See, God doesn't have a problem with this man's wealth. He has a problem with this man's misplaced worship. See, God doesn't have a problem with wealth. So you heard it said, okay, money is the root of, of evil, right? Money is the root of all evil. How many of you have heard that before? Money is the root of all evil. Go ahead, raise your hand on both campuses. Okay, put them up high and proud. Okay, if you've ever heard that, unfortunately, you've heard it wrong. It's never biblical to go, money's the root of all evil. And here's why. Because money is neutral. It's an object. Money cannot be evil inherently on itself. It's, there's lots of debates in our society about what's evil and what's not. Listen, a bat that I just showed you a second ago can be used to hit a home run or it could bash one of y'all's mailboxes because you're good looking, young, and wealthy, okay? <laughs> it can accomplish lots of different hurts. It's the same with a brick. You can use a brick to build a house or you could use a brick to throw through somebody's window. It's entirely neutral. It's just an object. Money's the same way. Now, Timothy is, is being addressed by his friend Paul, and, and Paul just says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he goes, it's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. Matter of fact, that's why some have wandered from the faith, and they've even pained themselves. That's, that's why that they have inherited such hard times, because they're greedy, and they're selfish, and they live life with misplaced worship. That's the problem with this guy. The, the guy is not having problems with Jesus because he's got too much money. It's because money's too much of a priority. It's a misplaced worship. See, that's, that's the idea here. It, maybe you're like, well, money's not my thing. I'm not that rich. Okay, now I get it. Now you see that you're a lot more wealthy than you think, right? I mean, here's the deal. Some countries, they long to have a, just a, a sip of water that's clean. Matter of fact, they travel sometimes for a mile or two to get it. For you, it's at your fingertips. Matter of fact, the crazy thing is, is if you were to take some people from the countries they live in as they drink water that's been boiled and they can still feel the amoebas floating around, they're a little confused when Americans like us are using it to water our grass. They're like, you're wealthy. And it's crazy, isn't it? Now, I don't tell you that to, to guilt you, but just to give you a sense of gratitude in your heart. Like we're wealthy, but wealth is not the problem. It's misplaced worship. And so the question is, is there anything in your life that that you worship and you shouldn't. Like for instance, some of us in here, it's relationships with other people. Maybe it's just the one person that's kind of in some ways an idol in your mind and your heart. And you just, you do everything. You think about them when you get up and when you go to bed and like your goal is to have a relationship with them. Um, for some of us in here, it's our job. I mean, that's the end all be all because it provides more wealth and more success. And with that comes more notoriety and more fame. For some of us in here, it's our hobbies. Like we just, we devote so much to them. We, we just spend entirely too much time and thoughts and energy and all those things. That's what, that's what Jesus is trying to help this guy see. He's going, look, you can have misplaced idols. That's what he's trying to help us realize. And this guy had them. You get that? Matter of fact, do you remember what Jesus said to him? If you look, he goes, 
hey, you've kept all the laws, right? He goes, you didn't commit adultery. He goes, you didn't murder. You haven't stolen. You got that? You see all those? And the guy goes, yeah, all these I've kept since I've, I've been young. But you know what Jesus left out? He left out the first one, which is Exodus chapter 20, verse three. And in the old English, it says, and thou shalt not have any other gods before me. See, Jesus is, he's, he's a little bit clever, okay? I mean, he's God, so he can do this, right? But he goes, hey, here's a list of things. Have you done those? And the guy goes, yep, check, 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 check. I've done all those. And then Jesus goes, hey, but let me ask you a question. Have you ever had an idol ahead of me? See, Jesus left that one off the list. Why? Because he knew the answer. When the man walked away sad, it wasn't because he had too much wealth. It was because the wealth was more important than following Jesus. Catch it? That's the key. And so Jesus just goes, misplaced worship is a problem. Now, let me explain something. I want to show you a few camel lessons. And so the camel lessons are just, there's three of them. And you can learn a lot of what Jesus meant. That it's really difficult for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Matter of fact, it's easier for that to happen than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And here's why. You can learn a few things. This, this man right here, he trusted in his works too much. So his thought process was, is that if I do all these things, I keep all these rules, I live obedient enough, then I'll inherit eternal life. Like that was this guy's thought process. He thought that I could be good enough to get there. Do you remember what he said? He goes, good teacher, what must I do? Y'all remember that? Okay, what did he say? Good teacher, what must? He goes, what must I do? Listen, religion says, what must I do? There are some of you in here that you're like, hey, what can I do? And so there's people in this room that you go to things like our regeneration money, uh, ministry on Monday nights because you're like, hey, what must I do? If I get clean and sober, then isn't that enough? There's some of us in here that you go, hey, if I start going to church more, isn't that enough? Hey, what if I dropped a big check in the plate? Isn't that enough? If I just give some stuff to God? Hey, what if I go and I serve somebody like the poor and the oppressed? Isn't that enough? And, and here's the deal. Religion says work do more, get there. You'll get to God that way. The, the question that you have to ask yourself and every other faith in the world has to ask this question at the very end of all their life is when do you know that you've done enough? Because see, I want you to realize that the gospel, the good news, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Jesus don't talk about how much you've done, but a God who what worked down to you when you haven't done enough. See, that was the problem with this guy. This guy thought, I could do more. If I do more, can I get there? Hey, Jesus, hey, good teacher. Hey, if I work a little harder, can I get there? And Jesus goes, no. <laughs> Why? Because we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. Matter of fact, according to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And it says, not of your works. Why? So that no one can boast. Because if you could get to heaven on your own, you know how much you'd brag about it? Just look how good looking I am and how much money I have. And hey, look at all the laws I've kept. And that's what Jesus is going. Look, look, dude, you compare yourself to everybody else and you look pretty good. But when you compare yourself to me, you don't look so good. And I think that's the problem. You look to your right. Go ahead and look to your right. Oh, see, they're not there, are they? Ha, ha, ha. But if you look to your right, you compare yourself. I'm like, I'm better than that. You look to your left and you go, oh yeah, I'm a lot better than right there on the left. Yeah. And as you're comparing yourself to other people, you're like, I'm okay. But when you compare yourself to Jesus, who's perfect in every way, you realize that you're not good, that your heart is deceitful and that you're in trouble. Why? Because you're not really that moral. 
our hearts are darkened. But that's why we were so thankful for 2 Corinthians 5.21, that he, meaning Jesus, became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus, instead of saying, hey, work your way to me, says, I'll work my way to you. Matter of fact, think about this for just a second. You know, when Jesus says to the rich young man, he goes, hey, leave all that you have, leave your money, give it to the poor and come and follow me. You know what I think he means? He means, I want you to be like me. Matter of fact, in Mark, when you hear this story, you see this story, it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. See, Jesus loved this man, even though he was kind of selfish. And here's why. Because Jesus is very similar to the rich young man. The only difference was Jesus was willing to leave it all behind to pursue you and I. See, Jesus left all the riches and all the fame and all the notoriety in heaven to come and to live among us, a people who would reject him. Isn't that cool? Last Easter, a week ago, I shared this story of the prodigal son. You know what's so incredible about the prodigal son is the father welcomes him back. But the problem was is the older brother who owned all the wealth that was left, he could have pursued him. And I have this theory, absolutely pure conjecture. But I think the reason he wouldn't pursue the brother is because it was going to cost him too much of his own money. And so what Jesus is just simply saying is, is hey, there's a cost to following me. What are you willing to give up? But here's the deal you need to know and understand. Your wealth is not always what God's concerned about. Sometimes he needs you to understand that you can't get there by your wealth and you can't get there by your works. And so it's not a money problem. It's a heart issue. You understand? And so he didn't just trust in his, what? His works, his morality, but he also trusted in his wealth. Now, I want you to catch this. This is really important. This, this rich young man trusts in his wealth. And think about this. If he loses his money, what else does he lose? Perhaps his identity, right? Perhaps his notoriety. I mean, perhaps he's not going to be the, the famous guy anymore. People aren't going to look to him as he's got life all together, right? When you follow Jesus, I want you to realize that sometimes you lose maybe who you wanted to be. Maybe Jesus is going to reorganize some of that in your life, but that's the, the struggle with this guy. He trusts in his works. He thought he was good and moral, but he also trusts in his wealth. And so when Jesus says, hey, I want you to lose your, leave your wealth, he goes, I, I really struggle with that. And here's why he struggles with it. Because in Luke chapter 16, a couple of chapters earlier, Jesus says something about this idea of wealth. And I want you to catch this because it's really important. In Luke chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus is talking and he says, no servant can ever serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and he'll despise the other. And then he says something and you think he's going to say, you cannot serve both God and maybe like the devil, right? Like you can't serve God and Satan too. But that's not what he says. You know what he says? He says, you can't serve both God and what? Oh, I know. I know. You're like, oh dude, he's about to talk about money in church. And that's the whole reason I don't come. And matter of fact, I don't even invite my husband anymore because every time I invite my husband, he shows up and wants to talk about money. Listen, if you're here for the very first time and we're talking about money, look, we're glad to have you. We love you, okay? But this is what you need to catch. You need to catch this. This is huge. Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You'll either love one or hate the other or you'll serve one and reject the other. And he goes, you can't serve both God and money. And here's what Jesus means. And it's huge. Lean in. Jesus is saying that the greatest competition he has for his heart and the kingdom of God is not Satan, but it's material possessions. 
Jesus would spend a third of all the words that came out of his mouth talking about money and material things. And the reason why is because for so many of us in here, we go, I just can't believe that Satan won't leave me alone. No, it's not Satan a lot of times. It's not this little demon on your shoulder that's convincing you. A lot of the the competition that Jesus has for your heart are the things that you're not willing to give up. And the top dog is material and money. Matter of fact, that is why you hear so many people go, I ain't going to church because all they talk about money. If you ever hear somebody say that, or you've ever said that yourself, I don't want to front you out. I don't want to be too harsh with you, but it's a heart problem. Think about it. Do you pray more when your finances are bad or your finances are really good? That's right. God, I got no money. I'm going to have to eat a pot pie. And I had not eaten a pot pie since I was seven. And I didn't like them then. I'm really not looking forward to it now. <laughs> God, please just like drop something in my lap. Like I need a job. God, I mean, I need a car. And we, we pray a lot about material things. Why? Because material things say something to us in our heart. And we pray more when we don't have material things than when we are content to live on what God's given us. See, money is a competitor to Jesus. That's why we need to learn how to train the camel. That's why we need to learn how to manage the things that God's given us. Why? Because Jesus says it's important. And so here's what, here's what Jesus is going. He's going, look, man, you're good looking. You got it all together, but you need to know that your works won't save you. That's why Jesus works his way down to you. You need to realize that your wealth won't get you there because God doesn't need your wealth. Matter of fact, here's why I want you to hear. Listen to me. If you're here and you think in your mind, the reason he's talking about money is because they want something from me. No, here's what I want you to read. Listen, the reason Jesus talks about money is because not that he wants anything from you, but he wants something for you. Jesus doesn't need anything you have. Matter of fact, the scriptures clearly tell us that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Matter of fact, the bank account that you have right now, God owns. And you're like, no, he doesn't. I worked for it. No, the scripture says that he's the one who gave you the, the ability to work for it. See, God owns it all. So it's not that he needs something back. You got I me? Mean? All he's trying to help you realize is that you didn't have anything when you came into the world. When you leave the world, you're not going to take anything with you. So why don't we just go and get some of this worked out now? And what if... What if <laughs> What if you're just obedient and what if you realize that I want something for you? And that's where this series is going to go. I want you to see what God wants for you, not what the church wants from you. Because I, I don't want anything from you. I just want God's best for you. Why? Because that's when we are best, is when we live in what God wants for us. And here's what Jesus wants. You Listen. He doesn't want you to trust in your, in your uh, works. He doesn't want you to trust in your, your wealth. All he wants you to do is worship him. What he wanted is this young man to leave all that he had and follow Jesus. He just says, hey, what would it look like if you just followed me? Quit, quit trusting in all your rule following. Quit trying to convince yourself that because you showed up to church this weekend and that you put $10 in the offering box that you're good because you, that didn't make you good. Hey, quit, quit lying to yourself that because you went to a shelter last Thanksgiving and you served some people that were poor and oppressed that somehow you're better now because you don't work your way to God. Hey, quit thinking that your, your money and your wealth and your fame and your fortune are going to get you somewhere because they're not going to get you anywhere. That's why Jesus says, if you want your life now, that's great. 
But if you want to lose your life, you're willing to give up some of that stuff to follow Jesus, you'll gain your wealth in the next life. He goes, that's what it's all about. And he goes, the only way you do that is to worship me. And so worship is just simply saying, God, if there be any misplaced idols in my life, if there's anything that's above you in my life, where, wherever that is and whatever it may be, God, would you just point that out to me? Would you just show me that? And here's what Jesus is saying. Listen to this. It's huge. All he's saying is, hey, why don't you treasure something that'll actually treasure you back for eternity? Treasure something that'll treasure you back for eternity. See, you put your treasures in worldly wealth, guess what? It won't love you back. If idolatry's relationships with this one chick because she's smoking hot, listen, she won't love you back the way that you deserve to be loved. Why? Because she's broken and she's looking for a lover that will complete her. And the only person that will ever do that is Jesus. He goes, treasure me because I'll treasure you fully. I can give you what you cannot get on your own. And our world says what? Just do it. Hey, just go and have fun, live it up. And the deal is, is you can do that. But Jesus goes, every time you'll knock on a door and you'll open it, and you'll find that whatever was behind that door was fleeting and it didn't fill you and it was temporary. But the next day you go, man, I long for more. And Jesus goes, I want to be your treasure forever because I will complete you and I will restore you and I will give you salvation and I will give you hope. And that's it. And so here's our prayer as we close today and as we walk through this whole series. This is our prayer. And we're going to say it together in just a second. But I'm going to give it to you first, okay? And it just simply says this, Father, help me not to put my hope in riches, but in what? Jesus who loves me richly. Got me? That's our prayer. So here you go. Say it with me. Here we go. Father, help me not to put my hope in riches, but in Jesus who loves me richly. Now that's on both campuses. Let's put our hope in Jesus, the one who loves us richly. Let me pray for us. God, we love you and we thank you for today. We thank you for this morning. We pray God you use it to encourage our hearts. And God, I just confess to you that there have been many times in my life that I've put other things before you, that I've really struggled to put my hope in relationships or in wealth or in notoriety and uh, God, I just know that all of those things are fleeting. And so God, I just want to be a man that's after your heart. And I just want, I just want to live for you and to love you. And so I pray, God, that you would help me to keep my eyes fixed on you. And I pray, Lord, that I would worship you um, more than I do my own wealth and my own works and my own morality. Because at the end of the day, I know there's nothing good in me apart from Jesus. And so, Father, I just pray that I wouldn't put my hope in riches, but in Jesus, the one who loves me richly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.